Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. The idea that thoughts become things has become a meme in popular culture. It's held as a firm proposition in metaphysics and some spiritual teachers ascribe infinite powers to the mind. But are these claims scientifically accurate? What does the scientific evidence tell us about the scope of the human mind to transform thoughts into reality? Today, we are going to ask an expert. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest, Dawson Church is an award-winning author whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, has been hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotion and genetics. He founded the National Institute of Integrative Healthcare to study and implement promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. He shares how to apply the breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and athletic performance through the EFT universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. And now we're going to talk about his newest book, Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality. Hello, Dawson. Welcome to the show. Julie, it is so good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this conversation because it feels like we just keep pushing that emergent edge of evolution and new fun things come and I know we're going to be like just having a lot of fun in this universal field that we're going to talk about today so but first Dawson I have a traditional first question on my show I always like to put this conversation in this larger context and this meme that that we talk about here so could you share with our listeners what does all things connected mean to you? I love the title of your show, Julie, and when I heard you say that, I actually got chills down my spine because all things are connected. Uh, Actually, that quote comes from Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius around 400 AD, and he said the last next half of his sentence was, and the web is holy. And so philosophers, saints, sages, all throughout history have made statements. The Buddha said, with our minds, we create the world. Uh, many, many great philosophers have, have said that there's a large universal consciousness and we're, we're part of that. And so I, in my meditations each, each morning, don't just focus on, on my, what I call the local self, but also on the non-local self and non-local consciousness and merging with that. So what I show in my most recent research is that we're all in this huge field of consciousness. And that's what connects and holds all things, including our individual lives. And living your life that way is a whole different frame from living it as a small, lonely, 
isolated individual stuck in your local mind and local consciousness. So to me, all things connected is connecting with that all that is that does, in fact, hold and connect all things. Mm. Thank you. That was a delightful response. I love that history that you added and the piece that, and the web is holy. How precious is that? Yummy. I'm going to have to look that quote up. I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of quotes like that in Mind to Matter. I quote historical figures. I quote uh, famous scientists, especially. Albert Einstein said something very similar. And I actually have a, a beautiful uh, uh, sculpture uh, done by a friend of mine, of Einstein here. And um, his quote on that sculpture is, quote, everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that some spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, one that is vastly superior to that of man. And so many wise people have been telling us about that connection throughout history. Yeah, isn't it? it, it it's so true. And your your book really is a good example of bringing the, the, the new science in with this ancient really wisdom that's been around for a very long time and these the different spiritual traditions and also this universal spiritual experience that so many are having in the world today so i'm like looking forward to really digging into this and dawson you say yourself that you're both a scientist and a mystic so let's just begin there and talk about the skeptics now and how this science is really converging with this universal wisdom, this ancient wisdom that we've been talking about and what's different now. So let, let's just talk to the skeptics for a while coming from you as a scientist and a mystic. Yeah, the skeptics used to believe that consciousness was what they called an epiphenomenon is the $10 word they use of matter. So the idea was that over the course of the last four billion years of evolution, that organisms became more and more complex, that brains became more and more complex, and that as a result of that increasing complexity, this mysterious thing called mind and consciousness eventually arose within the matter of the brain. And so that's the skeptic and materialist worldview, is that mind is nothing more than an epiphenomenon of brain, that consciousness is no more than an epiphenomenon of a complex neural structure. And so that's their worldview. And what I show step by step in Mind to Matter is that that worldview is not congruent with science, not congruent with what we now know. And what science shows us is much more that we're in this universal information field of consciousness and that our brains are much more like transducers and they're translating information from that field into our local reality. Like if you're listening to this now, to this broadcast, and you're listening on a device, and you're holding that device in your hand, or it's on your desk, or somewhere close by, and this broadcast is no more originating in your device than consciousness is inside your head. So just the way that this information is coming to you, but then your mind is the trans, your device is the transceiver of the broadcast in the same way your brain and your, and your local consciousness are the transceivers of this universal consciousness, and they then translate that into the material world you see. That's a much more scientifically accurate picture than the old skeptic materialist worldview 
that we hear about that that denies anything other than matter and energy and consciousness as being epiphenomena of that matter. Yeah. Great. And so I'm going to just ask you to just go another step deeper. So thank you for that response. And we talk, you talk about how the brain shapes the world, but you're talking about both mind and brain. And then we have this, this word consciousness floating around, which is maybe different than both the mind and the brain. Can you differentiate that and talk about how does our brain shape the world? In very, very interesting ways. And there's an interplay of mind-matter throughout the, the, the scientific study of this. One of the most easy ways to, to study the way that the energy fields of our brains are affecting the world is by looking at EEGs. And this is an old technology that's been around for a century. We've been able to measure using EEGs what is going on in the brain by way of electrical activity, and then with MRIs, with magnetic activity. So we, we can see these energy fields, and as the brain changes the way it perceives and processes information, these energy fields fluctuate dramatically. So I have pictures, a lot of EEG pictures in Mind to Matter, showing what happens in ordinary consciousness, in fear consciousness, in uh, meditation consciousness, what I call the awakened mind pattern. And all of these, these, these electrical information flows measurable by EEGs are changing as the neural circuitry of the brain is being used. And if it's being used for fear, if the, those fear circuits are all lit up, the EEG pattern we pick up is, is very, very different. So um, the, the brain is then measurable in using these technologies and as it fires differently it looks different the eeg signature of somebody who's sitting there in meditation whose heart is full of compassion and love and happiness has completely different brain function from somebody who is in fear and so when we use our minds for example to consciously release our fear. And there are mental techniques and there are physical techniques, there are emotional and spiritual techniques. I have about 30 of them in Mind to Matter. When we use that to those, those, those techniques to release that fear, our brain's functioning changes. And again, it doesn't just change a little bit, it changes radically. And consciousness is the whole field of awareness of which we're aware. I use the term consciousness very, very in the, sort of the common sense way in the book as, as the act of being aware. So you're aware of things and that is being conscious. There are a lot of, lots of arguments, a lot of academic interpretations of consciousness, but I, I tend to find the, the common sense ones uh, and use those usually. Yeah. So I, I want to stretch this while we're still on this topic because I think it's so important now when you when you talk about the fear and what that does versus um, other states of consciousness the, the meditative aware open love you know there's just a lot of different states of emotion we're going to talk about emotion in a minute but when we're talking about the brain shaping our world what happens when we're perpetuating this trauma and chaos as a collective. So I'm thinking about, I, I heard this, a loved one say this, and um, I'm going to give you an example of this. Um, someone near and dear to me said, we are going to have to teach our kids about this danger. 
and it was an issue of injustice in America. And he went on, he said, because it is going to happen to them. What can we do to shift this into a bigger global perspective, Dawson? Because like literally we're perpetuating this kind of fear into those brains and consciousness of even our young ones now. Do you understand what I'm asking? It's it's a big topic, but here we're talking about our brain shaping our world, and we have so many that are just stuck in these fear patterns that you talk about. Yeah, and so roughly the first part of the book is focused on how these patterns are affecting our bodies. But the second half of the book is focused on how they're affecting the world around us. And one of the interesting pieces of research here is the relatively new science of this phenomenon called emotional contagion. And it comes from the concept of infectious disease. And so uh, the the flu can be an infectious agent that can, can infect many people. Um, there have been huge plagues throughout history, like the bubonic plague or the Black Death in Europe, that wiped out a big chunk of the population. And so infectious disease is something that we understand and have a model for. What these researchers do is they apply that model to emotions and they find that our emotions are highly contagious. If you have a friend who's happy, you are 34% more likely to be happy and 9% more likely to make people around you happy. So even someone who doesn't know your friend but knows you is not likely to be 9% happier because your friend's happy. And uh, emotions actually are contagious several layers out from the person who is negatively impacted or positively impacted. Um, I use examples of mass emotional contagion from history, like the Nuremberg rallies. I talk about the Nuremberg rallies that Adolf Hitler held in the German city of Nuremberg in 1933, 34, 35, where they would have literally a million people in a giant stadium all, all marching in and shouting, Heil Hitler! And this mass hysteria that resulted from emotional contagion based on fear and based on the desire for control. And there were also so many examples of positive emotional contagion. So emotions are contagious either positively or negatively. And what I show is that when we work on ourselves, when we correct our own negative emotions, when we become happy and positive and joyful and compassionate people, we are spreading emotional contagion all around us and it's going several layers out from us and affecting those around us. And there are really happy moments, happy shifts in society. It's hard to believe, but, but society is becoming measurably better. There were, even even the 20th century, with two world wars and all the slaughter there and the, and the, the, the other wars, actually was, was a lot more peaceful and a lot fewer people died than in the 19th century. And I'm predicting that the 21st century we're in now will become, will be, will be by far the most peaceful era in, in human history so far. So we don't see these things in, unless we look at the sweep of history, but actually there is a lot of positive happening now and that is as contagious as, as those negative things. And so I, I urge people to meditate, to release their stress, to practice those 30 techniques in the book, and then become agents of positive emotional contagion, because you then literally are, are shaping people, people's experience several layers out from you. And as we have all of these people doing that, going through the shift in consciousness, it is producing an remar a remarkable effect on the world. The very end of the book, the afterword, 
and the final chapter are all about the changes I expect to see globally. And I make all kinds of bold predictions, like the one I just made, that this will be the most peaceful century ever, that all kinds of problems that we human beings have had for millennia, war, famine, abuse, discrimination, I think we're going to make enormous strides in re reducing or removing those in the course of the next century. So um, I think that we're in the middle of a, an enormously powerful, positive leap forward in all of this. And even though you can look at the news and read stories that make it look as though the world is, in the quote of my colorful quote of my youth, going, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> <laughs> that's a completely inaccurate and counterfactual view. If you look at all the major trends in terms of, uh, you know, slavery, uh, abuse against children, against women, discrimination, all of the trends are, are positive ones. And so we're moving rapidly. We're actually going through a huge social jump to a far better world. Mm, beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And I really am happy to hear you say that the positive emotional, um, are, the positive emotions are just as contagious as the negative. So thank you, the fear-based. Thank you, thank you for that. Let's just, since we're talking about emotions and we were, we were beginning to talk a little bit about how this brain is creating reality you do a lot with the energy field and, and we're talking about this so it feels like um our emotions how would you describe emotions versus thoughts when we're talking about our mind and holding a consciousness what are the difference that they they play in manifesting and creating reality they interweave with each other um, they are related to each other and they are different. So a thought is something you hold mentally. It's a mental construct. And an emotion is something you feel and it's a physical construct. It's a sensation in your body. And the way they work together is that say I have a thought that the world is an unsafe place. Say I believe that people are out to get you. Say I believe that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. These are all examples of cliches that people may have as thoughts. What then do, that then does is it drives emotion. And so then I then feel insecure. I feel angry. I feel upset. I feel stressed. So the, we then can have those, those thoughts produce emotions. And, and this is incredibly unhelpful. For example, if I have a negative experience, say I'm out in the park rollerblading and um, suddenly I'm having a wonderful day, it's a beautiful sunny day, and suddenly a pit bull breaks loose from its owner's leash and runs up at me with its jaws open and saliva coming out of its teeth and barking and this terrifying animal is about to leap and attack me, I'm going to have a, a rise in fear hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And so that's a natural response to an actual threat. But if then I'm having uh, dinner with my family uh, five hours later and I, I managed to get away from the pit bull, everything was okay, and I tell the story, then not only am I getting upset and stressed, and but, I, but my adrenaline and cortisol is rising again, even when there's no no actual threat. And many people are living out scripts from their childhood. I, sometimes in my live workshops, I, I teach a lot of live workshops at the New York Open Center and Esalen and Omega, all these teaching institutions. I go there, I, 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 I work with people. And there was this one old man 
in his 80s at the New York Open Center in my last class there, and he was describing all of the anger he felt toward his mother. And his mother had been dead for 40 years, and here he is still it, with his thoughts driving his cortisol sky high, having all this anxiety. So thought is driving emotion. It's fine if it drives emotion when there's a real pit bull, but how often are you attacked by anything? You're being attacked by your own thoughts, though, and your own negative thinking often, and people replay these negative thoughts over and over and over again, and that is having really severe effects on the body. So thoughts and emotions are, are linked in that way. Thoughts can, can drive emotions, emotions can drive thoughts, and that's why it's so important to learn these techniques, these 30 techniques I teach in the book, which show you how to break that cycle. If you don't, if you have high cortisol over time, I have a list at one point in the book of what it does to your body, and it's not pretty. It's, it's, it, high cortisol over time produces reduced muscle mass, reduced bone density. Your skin wrinkles faster as you age if you have high cortisol. It literally, cortisol literally in the learning and memory core of the brain, the hippocampus, high cortisol literally calcifies the hippocampus. It's like putting a bone around your, what should be flexible neural tissue. All of this stuff happens if you have high cortisol over time because you're remembering your mom 40 years ago, 60 years ago, or all of these bad things. So uh, thought and emotion is not just driving, they're not just, just interrelated with each other, they are driving the body in terms of uh, stress hormones, in terms of enzymes, in ter terms of neurotransmitters, and in terms of disease and aging. So we are unitary beings and we describe our mental activity as thoughts, our emotional activity, as emotions, and then our physical activity, and they're all moving together in this uh, in this synchronistic in this synchrony, this dance in which they all function in unison with each other. So it's powerful to find leverage points to think positively and then generate positive emotions and then generate positive hormones and neurotransmitters. And I, I really trace all of these thoughts to things links using science in the book. Yes, and you are an energy practitioner, an EFT master, and you talk about so many techniques in the book. There's, I'm just going to repeat that for our listeners because Mind to Matter does have, um, it's not only a, an amazing book about science and, and really showing us, but it's giving real concrete, positive practices and tools for us. And you said, I just want to say one more thing before break because you just barely touched on this and I just want to bring this home uh, about that this is a choice that we can choose the positive I, I remember in the book um, you talked about an experience as an artist and and you said every moment is a moment to decide and you know will I be magnificent or will I continue to pretend I'm less than what I know I am it's the same thing with the fear and, and the positive based emotions will we really choose each moment to moment what consciousness to live out in that moment. Okay, I would love for you to respond to that, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to dig into even deeper the energy, the DNA, What? how does that work? I want to talk a little bit about water. And then let's get to that juicy stuff of really aligning with that unified field, creating the synchronicities and really up-leveling who we are on the planet as individuals and a collective. We are here with Dawson Church talking about Mind to Matter. You're listening to the Dr. 
Dr. Julie show. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel, nonstop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Any daughter would do the same. But soon enough, he needed help doing more things. And it was up to me to be his personal shopper and financial manager, too. And before I knew it, Dad moved in with me. So I became his cook, his personal assistant, his physical therapist, and even his nurse. When I started taking care of Dad, I didn't realize all the roles I'd have to play. But no matter what, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the many roles you play. And to help, we created an online caregiving resource center. At aarp.org caregiving, you can find resources and connect with the caregiving community. Together, we can better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving to learn more. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Chris, can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. M2, M2. Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work. There's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart. But I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control of my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown-up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me, whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Positively uplifting. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here with Dawson Church talking about his new book, Mind to Matter, and you can find so much more about Dawson at DawsonChurch.com. And Dawson, right before the break, we were talking about emotions and, and then thoughts and beliefs and and 
energy and we even you even bring in how energy regulates the DNA in our cells or so much so let's let's talk a little bit about energy and energy fields because this is an important conversation and we hear a lot about the quantum field the unified field the universal field there's a lot of talk about field and coherence in the field now but I'd love to hear you just kind of synthesize this for us and and help us understand how energy and the energy fields help build and create matter I was so surprised, Julie, to read the research on how energy creates matter and discover just how much of it there is. I, uh, I manage a nonprofit called the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare, and one of the things we maintain is a bibliography of all the research studies that show the effects of energy healing on disease. And the current list has over six hundred clinical trials, over 600 studies Mm. showing the effect of energy healing on matter. And um, in chapter one of Mind Matter, I actually have a list of some of the uh, kinds of diseases that are affected by energy healing. And it's, it's huge, it's, it's enormous. I mean, an enormous number of diseases, from headaches to migraines, to, um, to cancer, to heart disease, uh, autoimmune diseases, psychological problems like anxiety and depression, research showing that these, all of these conditions are affected by energy. So it's been a real startling void of discovery to me to see how energy is affecting matter. And then uh, some of the the most remarkable science to me in the whole book is the research into how energy affects the physical world and how consciousness is changing the world around us. And there are experiments showing, well, just back up back up for a second. So one, one old experiment, century-old experiment, been, been performed hundreds of times. It's called the double-slit experiment. And I, I won't describe it because it's, it's complicated and it's described in the book. But essentially, if electrons, subatomic particles, if they are observed, they act like matter, they act like particles. But when they aren't being observed, they act like waves. And the act of observation, the act of, of actually observing these electrons collapses the possibilities in which they could be into the probability of a single state, which is matter. And so there is fascinating research showing that with our consciousness, with our awareness, with our intention, we're literally collapsing energy into matter. And um, if that consciousness is not there, is not applied, the the energy does not become matter in the same way. And then I also discuss the four fundamental forces of physics. And uh, again, these are, a couple of these, uh, some of these are, are already intuitive, like we know what gravity is, one of the four forces. We know what electromagnetism is, one of the other forces. And then there are two other forces called the strong and weak nuclear force. And so um, these are the fundamental building blocks of our understanding of the world. The world functions according to these four 
fundamental laws of physics, these four forces of physics. And so one of them is called the weak nuclear force. And it is so consistent and regular that scientists build atomic clocks. And those atomic clocks that, that use the weak nuclear force are so accurate, they only lose one second in 100 million years, super accurate. So in other words, these, these, these atomic clocks are extremely accurate to within very small tolerances. And yet there's research showing that certain people under certain circumstances can literally speed up or slow down that same force by several percentage points in either direction. They can either speed up that, that rate or slow it down purely by consciousness. Other studies show that energy healers, when they're doing energy healing, in one study, these energy healers were working on mice with cancer tumors. And not only were the mice healed, but um, the electromagnetic force around the cages fluctuated when they were doing the energy healing, but not when they weren't. And so we show the research that reveals that human intention and consciousness is literally affecting electromagnetism, one of those four fundamental forces. It is just mind-boggling when you get into the research here. Now, again, we're not saying that people can like just make stuff happen. Like I can't, I can't like uh, just uh, uh, think about a battleship and there's one outside my front door, or think that I, I'm 20 years old again and I will be. Uh, th th those 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 things don't happen. But what we can do with our minds, the way we are influencing molecules around us, turns out to be quite pervasive and quite startling. You gave a, a good example at the beginning of the book, talking about how um, you can the the chair that you were sitting in or that we're sitting in, I don't remember how you phrased it, is literally was a thought, was an idea of someone from the fabric to the design to the, you know, it, it, it was that thought. And that progresses into the development of this chair, the manifestation of a chair. But like the battleship sitting outside your house, you use that you're not going to be a star quarterback. I don't remember how you said that. Yes. But, so what are the difference in in these kinds of of creations, of, of this creating material reality? What do we really know as the bottom line? We're creating our reality as we go along, and yet I can't be 20 again. <laughs> so uh -huh. what's the bottom line in that? So I begin the book by laying out that continuum. There are things that are impossible, like being 20 in the battleship. And there are things that are very possible. If I told you I manifested a cup of coffee, you wouldn't be at all surprised. Or I can manifest building a house. It takes a little bit longer. I, you know, we manifest all kinds of things, which we really understand. And then there are things we clearly can't do. So what I lay out in the book is, what can we do? Because don't, don't be wasting your time trying to be 20 years old again or, or manifest the battleship when that's just not going to happen. Uh, and the, the middle ground turns out to be enormous. It turns out to be that, that we're influencing all kinds of things all around us all the time. And in... Uh, in, in the most interesting series of experiments on water, I talk a lot about this because I, I found more of these, some of these are old experiments done in the 60s, some of these are brand new ones published in the last year or two. And uh, water is interesting because it's the biggest com single component in our bodies. It, of course, is H2O, two hydrogen atoms bonded to one 
oxygen atom. The hydrogens are very, very small. They are the smallest of the atomic particles. And then there's this big oxygen atom that they bond to, and that's a substance we know really well, H2O. It's 70% of our surface of our planet and 70% of our bodies. And so when water is held by a healer, and this research is a very, very carefully triple-blinded, randomized controlled trial. When water is blessed or held by a healing touch practitioner, by a healer, then that molecule of H2O changes. The bonding angle between the two hydrogens and the oxygen is 104 degrees, and that has been measured and known by science for, again, about a century. But when the water is blessed, that bonding angle between those two hydrogens and the oxygen literally changes. And when that water is taken and used to water plants, the, the seeds which are watered with the blessed water, more of them germinate than in a control group watered with ordinary water. And the plants that result grow bigger and faster and stronger and have more chlorophyll than the control group. So here we have this common thing called water, just so pervasive we don't, don't even think about it. And yet human consciousness in the form of intention and blessing of that water is literally changing the molecular structure. I mean, this is so profoundly awesome. <laughs> and, and scientists talk a lot about awe. You know, scientists, science just leaves you in awe. And that's how I pretty much wrote this book with my jaw dropping and my eyes bulging. And I just couldn't believe as I read, read science like this showing that it's literally changing molecules in the world around us. So um, there's a lot of evidence for human beings, human consciousness being able to actually literally change the four forces of physics. And Amazing experiments going back now about 60 years and all the way to the present time showing that water is being shifted. And this is, this is again, I, I have a lot of practical tips in the book as well. I say, for example, bless your water before you drink water, before you eat food. Just hold your hands over the water and bless it. You, you can't be measuring the molecular bonding angle every time, but scientists have, and we know that it change, changes. So use this consciousness of that you, ha you, ha you have available to you to shift both your internal and external world. When you know these, these things have been scientifically shown, you then have this powerful leverage over your health, over the world around you, and then all kinds of things begin to shift when you use those 30 practices in the book and start to use them consciously and deliberately rather than just unconsciously creating. So this is just the way that people are creating those subatomic particles by observation, by consciousness. You want to be creating things that are congruent with your goals and your happiness and your highest potential. And you want to stop creating unconsciously because you're creating whether you know whether you know it or not you may you may not think you're creating and you are creating to a much greater degree than you realize when you change your mind you change the matter not only of your body but of the world around you oh dawson so i just want to really just pause about the power of really using our consciousness to even shift the water and um i'm wondering if you 
I have a friend who literally works with the water in this way in his healing practice with clients and getting great results. Are there is there any research out there about our ability to use the water to heal? I know, you know, a, a nice warm bath is so healing in so many ways. Getting back into nature and into the water is so healing. We use healing, we use water for sacraments so often. What is the research? Is there there research that's showing us what are our next steps in using water for healing? There is research being done now. It's not published yet, but uh, I have a, I'm just really privileged to know some brilliant scientists and uh, we get together and we talk about our ongoing work, our hypotheses. We try things, some of the stuff we try works, others, other things we try uh, just don't work. I, I just finished doing an experiment uh, with some people looking at their ability to sense the energy in trees, and it was just a complete and utter failure. So <laughs> hmm. that's why they're called experiments. You know, they, they work sometimes, they don't. So, so I, I have some really brilliant colleagues who are now doing a series of experiments in, with water, and what they'll be doing is they'll be blessing the water, and then seeing if the water itself can become a carrier of that energy later on in time and space. And so they'll be taking that blessed water, they'll be shipping it to a distant location, and they'll be using it for somebody as a healing uh, tonic and assessing the results of that in a human study. So um, yeah, there is some interesting work being done to see if water can actually be a carrier of this. The other um, I don't talk about this in Mind to Matter, but there is also some research showing that certain organic substances can carry this. And the one that's been used so far in experiments is cotton. The actual substance of cotton, the fabric of cotton, can be infused by a healer and then transfer to another location, distant in time and space, and uh, have a healing effect. So, yeah, there are a couple of things like this, that that the water is seemingly able to absorb the information of healing from a healer and then distantly is able to transmit that again. And those studies will will be published over the course of the next two or three years. Beautiful. So that that brings us to this field, because we're talking about now this non-local healing and um, using the, the, the field. And, you know, we're all a part of this consciousness. We are consciousness. And so let's let's just get to the fun stuff about talking about this unified field, this universal field that you talk about. And really, I love the ending of the book of talking about that last chapter, that last paragraph of really bringing ourselves into synchronicity and aligning with that that field and all the magic that happens. Yeah, we think of synchronicity as something that, that just happens to us. We have a, an amazing synchronous experience, and um, then we're like, wow, I was about to pick up the phone to call Sally, who I haven't talked to for five years, and the phone rang, I picked it up, and it was Sally calling me. That, that kind of experience is really common among people, and these are called anomalous experiences. When, when researchers write about them, write papers about them, study them, they're called anomalous experiences. And the, that word is really odd because they're not anomalous at all. About two-thirds of people recall and can describe experiences, for example, of things like precognition, 
knowing something was about to happen before it happened. A lot of people have out-of-body experiences. They, these are not near-death experiences. They're, they're fine. And even though they're fine, they have these experiences of being out of their bodies and looking down on their bodies. And so people are having these experiences and, uh, and, and, and being part of this all the time. At the end of the book, though, I talk about synchronicity and then aligning yourself with the universal field. I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is shift my consciousness from worrying about uh, the hangnail on my left foot and the itch under my right armpit and whether it's my day to go to the gym or not, whether I feel like going to the gym or not, <laughs> um, whether I the deadline for that project is Tuesday or Thursday. Like, so we wake up in the morning, we, this, all the stuff floods into our minds, and then we're collapsing all of those possibilities into the same probability we had the day before. We're creating our world of today, the world that we're creating today with our minds on the model of the world we created yesterday with our minds and the day before and the day before and the day before. We're very consistent over time this way. When you start to meditate, when you start to let go of your clinging, your attachment to local mind, then you start to merge with non-local consciousness and create very differently. The part of the brain that is focused on local reality, especially is the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part that's the thinking conscious brain that can tell you that my name is Dawson Church, that I'm wearing a blue shirt, that I'm in an office, that I live in California, and all, all of these facts that I've known for a long time, and I collapse this field of possibilities into those probabilities day after day after day. But what if I didn't? What if I, didn't? What if I began to, to pull myself loose from the tar baby of my old thinking and create anew, or even better still, how about if I pull myself loose from the tar baby of old thinking and recreating the same old stuff day after day and merged my awareness with non-local mind? That's what I invite people to do in the book is to meditate and then shift your awareness into non-local mind because you're then aware of a huge number of possibilities far beyond what you can picture and create at the level of local mind. And non-local mind creates extraordinary things uh, through you and, and synchronicities happen. Now, when one interesting piece of research shows that synchronicities happen more often to people who believe in synchronicity and cultivate synchronicity. If you are actually tuning yourself to synchronicity, then you get more synchronicity in your life. And that same is true for all of these, what they call anomalous experiences, precognition and clairvoyance and telepathy and so on. The people who believe in them the strongest and practice them the most have more of them. So the skeptics don't, don't, don't have as many. Um, and belief seems to be a barrier to, to having them. So we can tune in to non-local mind. And I, I give several examples and several stories in the book about people who tune into non-local mind and change their energy and change their matter. One story I'm, I'm really interested in now, I, I wrote the foreword to, to an, a friend's book and she tells in this book about her diagnosis with, with metastasized breast cancer. She had a, a tumor in her right breast uh, she had a large, large, solid tumor, about two inches across, huge, a huge tumor, and it spread to her lymph nodes under her right armpit. 
Also, she had three spots of inflammation on her lung. So it looks as though, as though the cancer was traveling through her lymph system, through her body, and then seeding cancer elsewhere in her body from this big primary tumor in her, in her right breast. And she got that diagnosis in March of last year. And the, the surgeon, the, uh, the oncologist where she was being treated was a big famous cancer hospital called MD Anderson hospital in, in Houston. And um, the specialist she was seeing there, when she got the diagnosis, the morning of the diagnosis said, explained to her how serious her diagnosis was. And the doctor said to her, we want you in radiation this afternoon, not next week or making an appointment for next month. We want you in radiation today. It's that serious. And my friend Beth said, you know, I need to step back and think about my options and see what else I can do. And her, her oncologist was so supportive of her. What I've found is that many medical doctors are so supportive of people using energy healing. So Beth went away and she focused on energy healing and healing herself with energy. She began to practice Qigong intensively. She emailed me and we did some EFT acupressure tapping with her. Uh, she cleaned up her diet, got rid of all the stress in her life, paid scrupulous attention to her energy and got energy healing treatments as well. And so again, this is March, she got the diagnosis. By May, the tumor had shrunk by about a half and was like basically dead tissue being removed by her body. By August, all of her blood work showed that she was completely free of cancer. And so I'm so intrigued by people who are applying these methods in their lives, who are using energy and working at the level of the energy field. We, when you have a problem, whether it's a physical problem like a disease or a financial problem or a relationship problem, you are so careful. My wife and I take such good energy care of our relationship. If I have bad energy, I go take a walk or meditate, do something. I do not speak to my wife. I don't want to be dumping my bad energy or my problem into the field, the energy field of our beautiful marriage. So you, 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 you money, you, you, you approach money in a clear way. You approach your career in an energetic way. All of these parts of your body well, and, your, and your health and your world, you look at how you can use energy to shift them, shift the energy. And then like Beth's cancer, you find matter going right along. So there are so many powerful ways of being in this energy field, being in this field of consciousness, letting go of that limited local mind we hold in the prefrontal cortex, merging with those, uh, those huge universal information fields and then living our lives based on the intelligence and wisdom and love that there is in, in those great fields. So that's, that's the, really the practice that I advocate in the book. Mm. Powerful, powerful. Dawson, when, when you were speaking about your friend with the cancer, um, what occurs to me that is a really important piece of this whole conversation when we're talking about especially the healing with mind to matter is um, what I saw was as your friend was clearing out it's like the debris the chaos the old the you know it's creating more coherence in the field for her um eliminating stress eliminating toxins in the body eating better you know the whole thing was i just saw it so clearly of of just really letting go of interference of that connection we have with that yes 
that higher non-local reality here. So can you just talk, we just have like two minutes here. Um, the show is, is winding down too quickly for me because I have so many more questions that I'd love to talk to you about. But let's just talk a few minutes about this coherence and the power of a coherent mind because I think it's really important. Yeah, chapter five of Mind to Matter is called The Power of the Coherent Mind. And I asked myself this fundamental question, we all know people who are superb manifestors. Uh, I just got an email from Jack Canfield today, his uh, wonderful friend, and Jack is the co-author of the Chicken Soup series. His best-selling book currently is called The Success Principles, and Jack is a master manifester, and what Jack intends is very likely to happen. Then I have another friend uh, called Ruby, and Ruby has wonderful intentions, and yet nothing ever seems to happen for her. What's the difference between a Jack who can manifest effortlessly and a Ruby who can manifest nothing despite having all the same great intentions? And the answer that I came to in the book is mental coherence. And so I have images there of an EEG of somebody who's mentally coherent and somebody who is mentally not coherent. And their EEGs look very, very different. So the people who are able to manifest are using the power of coherent mind. And the example I give is a laser, a 60-watt laser. So if you take a 60-watt incandescent bulb, it'll throw light around itself and it'll light up a room 10, 15, 20 feet away. That incandescent bulb has incoherent light. If you take that same 60 watts and make those light waves coherent as a laser, that 60-watt laser will cut through a sheet of steel. So that's the power of coherent mind. And I talk about the practices that will bring you into mental coherence. And mental coherence is a state in which you are a manifester. You can manifest. And people who don't have, don't have mental coherence, they may have great intentions, but the research shows that they are unable to manifest the same way. Mm. Thank you for that explanation. I just want to... Um remind our listeners when you're talking about giving practices you do even more than that you at the end of every chapter i'm opening the book and looking right now you have this beautiful summary and then these practices you offer but you you invite them to your website to dig deeper to play to watch videos to to learn more to really immerse themselves in every topic of every chapter so this it is a beautiful handbook and it is um a how to do life at the next level kind of book so dawson thank you so much for sharing this oh with- it's been a huge Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And again, my my main um, goal here is to have people actually apply these principles and see their lives change. Well, I guarantee if you even go to one chapter at a time, you're going to see lives change. And again, you can find out more about the book and Dawson's work at DawsonChurch.com. Any last words, Dawson, in 30 seconds or less that you want to leave with our listeners? Actually, the book's website is is mindtomatter.club.club. So mindtomatter.club is the best place to get the book because it has a whole bunch of other things there as well, useful resources for you. And the main goal is to let go of all the worry and stress and love yourself and have a fabulous life. And it is just a matter of applying these very, very simple techniques to make that happen. So that's my my real uh, 
impetus is to see people apply these things. And I just love sharing with people. And now hundreds of people have shared how much their lives have changed in the last few weeks since they've been reading the book. So uh, it can happen for you, too. Beautiful. Thank you, Dawson. I thank you again for joining us on the show. It's been a joy. Thank you. And I want to leave you listeners with a uh, thought here from Dawson. Mind to matter is not an abstract metaphysical proposition. It is a physical fact as material as the bodies we live in thought by thought, moment by moment, our minds are creating the energy fields in which our cells reproduce positive thoughts provide cells with an energy culture in which they thrive. So take that positive thought into your day. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And remember together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole until next time. I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Bye for now. 